Hey everybody, it's the Con Artist, back for bi-weekly podcast number three for the Winter Core. Uh, we're super excited to talk about all our stuff, and I have I have a new show this time around. I somehow managed to watch something new. Ooh. Exciting. Exciting. So, Dan, live the dream, how's Handshakers? Oh, awesome. God. The only answer is awesome. Oh, yeah, that totally. Is Handshakers awesome? Please answer with yes, or <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Don't be like that. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, well, I mean, it's fallen into a nice predictable pattern where every two episodes they introduce a new set of adversaries, so uh, in that regard, it's actually super simple. Uh, this time around, uh, we are treated to a sequence where the uh, main character actually loses uh, Kiori, this uh, girl that he's supposed to hold hands with, or she will die. Um, they went oh, to I guess great... that's that then. Well, the they show's went to over. Great... They went to great pains what? to. It can't be over. They went to great pains to explain that uh, the longer they're together, the longer they can stand to be apart before she finally bites it or passes out or goes into a coma again or whatever happens. Sure. Um, that. But end. yeah, but um, this time, like he just totally lost her. Like she wanted to, I guess, go shopping for uh, for something to show her appreciation to him, and uh, got. Uh, got disconnected from him in the crowd and so he's all running around and she runs into um oh this uh the guy's classmate the girl with the boobs the size of her head and oh, yes. that girl's little brother who is apparently like just the greatest at this one like magic the gathering style card game and it turns oh, thank right. goodness mm-hmm. it's not as Please good as the shiny chariot game some um Oh, it can't be as good as Shiny no, Chariot. It's, it's oh, absolutely not. I hope it has... Does it have some, like, otherworldly Magic the Gathering, like, Phantasms the Collecting or something? I, <laughs> like, do they try and map the it's name? It's called, like, Precious Memories or something. A game you would... A, a oh. title you would never associate with that sort of game. Oh, man. Oh, but right. uh, There goes so, my idea. So, like... So Kiori we'll and this uh, other girl are like watching him in some kind of, you know, local game store competition thing. And he's just he is just wiping the floor with everyone. And his sister is just bouncing around. And I mean that in the most literal sense of the term, bouncing around with joy every time he does something even vaguely impressive. Like she is doting on this kid in a way that my my suspicions about it are confirmed in the next episode. They are creepily attached of course uh, they are. Yeah. Free. But, but um, so they find out at the end of that episode that uh, at the end of episode five that um, when the other kid comes back and, you know, grabs hold of Kiori's hands, handshakers like uh, like the immortals in Highlander can sense each other when they're close together. And uh, so my dinner theory just keeps being more and more confirmed like dinner? every time. Like, from last time, where I was just like... Oh, right. They, you don't have money, so you just keep ordering food. Like, <laughs> I swear, Dan, you just make stuff up every time we get on this cast. Hey, You're go. like, and now they can sense each other. And now, like, there's this ridiculous thing. And now a children's card game. I have not made up a word of this. I am being completely honest. In any case, uh, so they, they sense each other, and it's like, okay, now we have to fight. But, you know, the kid's like, no, we, we don't. We totally don't. I don't want to fight you people. Like, I'm friends with you. But uh, apparently because they didn't because they didn't immediately, like, jump back into the real world from the, like, pocket dimension that they get transported to every time they, they need to start a fight, uh, that indicates that at least one of them still wants to fight. 
So they took that as a they took that as a sign to start beating on him. And I mean, all right. Yeah. The and first rule of handshakers is that you fight everyone. Pretty the much. The second rule Clearly. of handshakers is that you don't ask why you fight everyone. It's to meet God or something. Also, we may have met God at some point while uh, that kid was separated from uh, the girl. Uh, Man, all right. Mission we accomplished. Don't, we don't know. Like, he's either God or, like, the crazy professor's brother or, oh, God, I don't even know. But, Guys, you uh, know this is going to end like Fate Stay Night and nothing good's going to happen, yeah, right? right? It's all it's... a lie all the time. Yep. Certainly. But, Just have uh, snacks with the enemy. Yep. Exactly. Snacks with the enemy. At least they, they have had snacks with the enemy multiple times, actually. Oh, good. So it's um, working. But uh, yeah, just quick, just quickly, they you know they fight these two um, with the I don't know Scott. I forced you to sit. I forced you and Brendan to sit through the first episode. Uh, yes, you you remember the terrible opening with like the horrible CG flames and that ridiculous like computer generated hand thing reaching up to grab them off the side of a building. Yeah, kinda. That happens. The, the The flames look like they were photoshopped in like photos of real flames into this otherwise totally animated background. It looks atrocious every time this thing looks like it's like oh man they actually managed to compose a scene without the camera zooming around or gleams coming off of everything or repeating the same crowd scenes again no that is like cg flames cg hands just garbage all over the place like again they're taking deliberate effort to make this thing look uh look bad but they go through a fight like the kid's powers are all based on the cards that he's uh, that he's using and his uh, sister's powers are like basically to allow him to take whatever card he needs at the time because she's got like this tarot thing going and she can mess with fate. Okay, that sounds like a pretty but, unstoppable pair. Yeah, Thank but goodness. then Kiori suddenly gains the ability to predict exactly where the attacks are going to be, so uh oh, all right. I'm well, as long you as, dinner. Dinner. As long as she grows a new no power. <laughs> So yeah, she pulls that power out of some uh, out of someone's butt somewhere, and uh, now that's apparently what she can do. But Ask how is she able to communicate this back. to anyone plot when she can't device. actually speak? I have no idea. I She's mean, kind of nods series of points in the directions. <laughs> I'm sure it's something along the lines of their Highlander powers gives them psychic abilities or something. We need to communicate through a series of blinks. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so right. yeah, they they, they win that fight, and I presume they're based on the preview that they're going to become again friends again with these people, uh, and nothing of consequence will have accomplished will have been accomplished. Well, they they took them out, right? They're not longer competitors. They so took them out, but like being a competitor in this thing, I don't I don't know. We have no idea what the prize really is. It's a wish. It's but they don't even like what's the scale of the wish? Is it just whatever you want? Is it because all of these people's dreams are actually rather realistic it's like this this girl and uh this this girl and her brother are like we want our parents to stop fighting and not get divorced or like whatever this other one is like i want to eliminate this i want to eliminate the difference between us so that we can date this guy wants to save this girl i presume so they've all been realistic wishes but like nobody's shooting for the moon we never even found out what like the the chain uh the chain twins thing is i assume like i don't know just a pile of candy or something. That seemed to be their level of maturity. Anyway, so that's Handshakers. Another uh, another fight. Everything looks terrible. Plots are being contrived out of everywhere. And we are slowly inching towards some kind of an explanation. Oh, good, I think. <laughs> well, thank goodness for that. Oh, right. my goodness gracious. So, Brendan, where are you? Are you up on the Kimono Friends? Oh, man, I would not miss an episode of Kimono Friends. Thank goodness. 
um, it's fallen back on its own formula, uh, which is uh, an episode by episode thing rather than a two episode fight. Whatever, whatever his handshaker is doing, uh, whatever handshakers is doing. Well, I think I'd be kind of shocked if Kimono Friends suddenly turned into a, like a two on two battle. <laughs> uh, there was some. Uh, quote combat end quote going on uh in uh episode six i want to say was it like a lemming versus a marmoset what happened well no i no. hope it was like snake versus mongoose come on <laughs> classic <laughs> no in episode uh in episode six they get uh stopped in the plains by a, a couple of friends including a uh a, well a couple of like one of them was an aurochs, auroch, and uh, some other kind of like wildebeest kind of thing. And they took them, uh, the, the principal characters, to their leader lion, okay, who set who set them to be like fifth column agents in the forest because there's a Siberian moose in the forest and a bunch of her underlings that keep like trying to come over into the plains and fight lion, except they never get very far because they have terrible, terrible tactics. Okay. And I mean, what it's is a freaking lion. Show? No, they don't even get to the lion. Like the two, uh, um, like the two, yeah, the two underlings are so gung ho about you know protecting their general or whatever that they don't ever let the entire like forest gang get into the, the into the region because they all attack in a straight line. Then why would you need someone to deal with this? The problem seems to be it's solving itself. Irritating. Well, it, yeah, it does, but it, yeah, like like Scott says, this. It's irritating. She's tired of this happening. Uh, and so um, basically what the what every episode of the show is like uh, as a unit is that uh, Kaban and, and Serval like move into an area, meet a couple of other animal girls who are having some sort of like issue or frustration and then Caban applies a little human ingenuity to the uh to the situation and everybody is better off than before so in episode six this takes the uh form of her inventing a new kind of battle which is everybody wears a little uh a little beach ball on their head or somewhere and like uses sticks as like wooden swords things trying to deflate the uh, beach ball thing, oh, which because right. this show has no budget, it basically you just have a round thing and then you have a flat thing. As soon as it gets oh, one in. frame of animation, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the endless ways in which this show like continues to be amazingly cheap. <laughs> but um, she also like uh, convinces the there's a chameleon girl who can actually vanish from sight. So useful. Yeah, Kavon gets her to do some like recon, and like Lion has set this whole thing up. She sends Serval and Kavon into the forest to get like Siberian moose and like her gang to actually be able to get past her two underlings, so that like she Lion can fight her Siberian moose, and like they have a thing. Oh, so like, so, like basically, they're like the Lion fan club, and they won't let anyone even get close to Lion. Right. Aha! Uh-huh, I got they're, it. They're pack animals. <laughs> Um, and uh, they finally manage to, like, the, so like Severian Moose like goes around while the uh, the other two are occupied with, uh, whatever the the other 
Moose's underlings are up to. And then the uh, Lion and Moose have a climactic showdown. And they do the whole, like, ninja guiding thing. Or they try to. Or they yes. cross each other and then... Uh, and then there's hyper murder? <laughs> well, no. And then, like, both of the balls are popped, like, basically simultaneously. So they declare it a draw and they, uh... You know, decide to do it again sometime. Maybe with even more different rules. And then, like, Kaban, like, invents soccer. Uh, <laughs> VoIP soccer. Oh my gosh. You know, every time you say Kaban, like, I keep thinking Saban. And in my head, I'm like, Saban's Mighty Morphin. I was going to say, Rangers. like, the Power Rangers guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, the Sub- nice. Yeah. I mean, yes. I could call her Bagchan. No, that, that's fine. Like, Kaban is just fine. But it, it's just me. You're you're just hearing my problems out loud on this cast. Like, that's that's pretty much what it is. Riveting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Saban, really. In episode five, they met. Uh, they went to a lake shore and they found a beaver, who had found a picture of a log cabin, and was thinking about building one of her own. Hmm. Uh, they knocked down a bunch of her logs though, so they went over to find some more ones, and they found a prairie dog. If she fails. Are you going to call her Angry Beaver? <laughs> no? No one watched Nobody's, that show? Too much I, I did a little I was, bit. I was about to start singing the theme song. Or maybe the, yes, uh, good maybe job. the disco one. Please do. Oh my got, gosh. The Beaver, got the beaver Fever. fever. Yes. Beaver. God, we are, we are getting way too much of a glimpse into Scott and Sue's childhoods right now. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> this is this is probably bad. Anyway, okay. So Beaver, and then who came next? Uh, Prairie Dog. Uh, so... Prairie dog is all about doing stuff, and usually Minute is like tries to dig herself a little prairie dog hole, but you know doesn't really plan it out very well, and doesn't have a good sense of proportion for how big she really is since she got turned into a human-sized person from a being a prairie dog. And usually it like ends up being stuck in one of her own holes, uh, but then like Beaver is all like trying to plot out how everything is going to be perfect and not really wanting to commit any of her resources to actually building anything until she's got it just right. So Kavan is like, well, how about fusion? Yeah. You start making these plans and then just have Prairie Dog do on a larger scale what you want to see happen. And then the, they've built the, uh, this, this cool like underground tunnel into an island on the lake and like wow. observation wait a minute they are the stuck. angry beavers that's how the angry beavers live All that's right. exactly <laughs> right oh my gosh uh, yes. at long yes. last nobody's angry in komodo friends though it's such oh. a nice place okay that's good you'll be that's angry when i pop your so beach ball brendan <laughs> okay those yeah there were a couple of them that were quite, a little bit irritated i guess like, and then there's one more there's one more inch forward on the overplot with some shoebill, which is a really weird looking bird, as I recall, yeah. like spends an entire episode staring at Kaban. And then at the end of the episode, she's like, are you a human? And then we cut dun, to credits. Dun, dun. Oh, snap. Man, all the drama. All the drama right there. It's, you know, like I say, otherwise it's uh, it's a very chill show and I'm. Minute for the long haul. All right, excellent. Very cool. Very cool. So, how's the uh, conspiracy theory going? Haka continues to be pretty darn good. Yes, like he. So the 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 general sense that like Gene's going to go to these different districts and inspect them sort of continues. Everyone continues to think he's part of the coup somehow. So he he keeps getting cigarettes. He continues to be, as far as I can tell, totally clueless. Right, like actually, there was the, a larger plot development did finally occur. Like 
the guy is sort of in charge of their organization sent his a friend of his basically is also a spy for their organization and he's using him to spy on gene these are episodes uh, five and six right yes this is episodes five and six and okay. uh just making sure like basically a different member of the high council who's pretty sure gene isn't uh, the the coup guy but thinks the guy with the spy is the guy tells him that he's got a spy on him and so gene basically confronts his friend and they become they become friends again like a hundred percent uh now that the secret's out and gene's like i have no idea what's going on or why you're spying on me but someday you know if you feel like it tell me about what it was that was going on and the spy guy's like wow you are so chill about this <laughs> which is pretty much the story of the show he just said, like spy so many times all i heard was like who's on first and what's on second <laughs> it's like okay it, it kind of does like, break down to that only spy, conspiracy watching theories. the other spy and cigarettes and wow that's crazy you know it, it when you guys talk about it it reminds me a little bit of raka no yusha except without the i guess like life or death situation where without they're the over the top without the over the top demon fight in that action right right, right. There's, i mean there's everybody doesn't yeah. have a super yeah. weird quirk it's it's got the realism factor in there but i i'm kind of surprised that you guys haven't really caught any inkling of whether or not gene's in on it because Rocco was sort of like that too like when if it's finally revealed who the traitor on the team is i don't know that you ever really saw that coming like even if i rewatched the show i don't know that i would have gotten hints that it was this person so it sounds like right. it might just be one of those things that's like watch till the end kids Right. I mean, like, because at this point, we have heard Gene's internal thoughts enough that it's pretty unlikely that he isn't in the coup. So it might just be that, like, everyone thinks he is. And that's kind of where the interesting stuff's going to come from. Mm-hmm. Also, but- side note, so that, that there's also this prince of the country who's a jerk. I think we mentioned him previously. And he sent his subordinate to go figure out. He, he the, the prince has fallen in love with Gene's sister. And so he sends his, like, underling to go figure out all the things that she likes. And the underling fails totally. So, like, the underling, the, the prince's underling that owned the other underling is like, I'll, I'll go over there and do it Do you it want myself. a job done right? <laughs> yeah, dang it. So he goes over there and rather than, like, doing his job, falls in love with sandwich bread. Like, they don't have okay, sandwich bread that, in their home district. They have, like, hard Well, tack. that's the highlight of the cast. Falls in love well, with sandwich bread. He, is and, like, then, and then, he like, then begins presenting it like it's some kind of delicacy to the prince. To the and, prince. Even, and even the prince, who is an absolute schmuck, is like, what the hell is this? <laughs> oh, it's pretty good. He's like, he's like, sir, you don't understand. And then he, like, he, he makes toast from the bread. He's like, sir, this is toast. He's like, like oh, just, oh. okay. So what have you learned? You will need to buy her much bread, sire. So we should we should open a bakery of the style that makes sandwich bread here in our home district. And he's like, "You are not like this is not the information I want about her." Like I am literally going to slap you right now. Wow, you know I don't know that listening to what this show was about in the beginning, I expected to have this kind of humor in it. Nor did right. a, either of us. I think it is. It is sort of like suddenly and unexpectedly funny at times. And then like so, like a lot of that was episode five and part of six. And then, like, Six is all about Gene's past and why he and his sister have been orphaned thanks to, like, railway accidents way back when and, like, Akka's history of sort of making the country safer and how the the guy in charge of the organization was involved with that. Like, a lot of really complex people interactions. So, like, the show, I wouldn't say that it changes its tone wildly because it moves slowly enough that nothing ever feels like it comes out of nowhere, but it has a wide range. I'll put it that way. Mm. And there did seem to be hintings at the end of episode six that 
there's more going on at the higher like we could tell this from the get-go just because they're all so cagey but like the five chiefs who run Akka day to day under the um director general um they seem to have some kind of agenda of their own and they're all approaching this whole news of the suspected coup from different angles like you said some accusing others of being involved some thinking that you know this is this is some kind of repeat of uh stuff that's happened in the past but they're all very clearly intelligent and playing all of their cards very close to the best so they seem to have finally come to some sort of tacit agreement. And whatever that means, whether it's coming down on the coup, initiating the coup, it could be anything, really. Yeah, it's interesting to watch. And also, as Gene goes to there, like, each of them, of course, is from a different district of the country. They're not all from the same district. So as Gene right, goes right. to the districts that they're from, you learn a lot more about, like, kind of who they are because their district kind of, your district determines a lot about you. Mm-hmm. So we're learning more about the characters as Gene goes on his, on his trips. So kind of a really cool setup. Very different. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I like it. They do a good job of showing Super you the fabulous. culture of each place without uh, without really cramming it down your throat too much. Yeah, like, so from what you've been hearing about this guy, the guy who's in charge of Akka, uh, like, I didn't expect him to basically be, like, from the Native American district. Like, that's kind of his deal. I was like, oh, wow. Really? Like, traditional ponchos and, like, feathers in his hair. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, I didn't see that as the kind of guy you were, but that gives me a lot of interesting insight. Yeah, that. Okay. Wow. Yeah, because in the office he doesn't dress like that at all, of course. Mm-hmm. But you see him. Uniform. But you see him on TV when he was younger, and he has like the he has like a neck. Uh, he has like a choker, a uh, like a traditional tribal uh, tribal necklace, and like a scarf over the uh, over like a regular business suit. So sort of this ne- neat. Uh, amalgamation of the modern and the traditional which again gives you a real neat insight into his character without having to go back and explain you know this guy is a hardcore traditionalist or whatever yeah definitely and they took the time to do that nice stuff yeah pretty cool all right so what do you got next what do you got sue okay so i'm I'm here to present a challenge because dan you made a dangerous dangerous statement in podcast one what was that like you were like you watched two episodes of akka and you were like Akka is the best show of the season. So far. That's a that's a dangerous phrase to make after two episodes. So I'm here to present my own horse um, <laughs> in the form of Kuzuno Honkai, or in English, Scum's Wish. So this will be a encapsulation of Scum's Wish episode one through five. I believe episode six is out today, but I have not seen it. Um, so in a complete and utter... 180 degrees, potentially 270 degrees from Akka. Um, Scum's Wish is uh, definitely, definitely on the like difficult emotional side. It is Man, not a show to, to those, be huh? watching. I, I do seem to go for those because I feel like anime doesn't really pull it off all that well. So when it does, I'm I'm totally there. Hmm. And it's like, oh, okay. How how are you gonna how are you gonna try and pull this off? Okay. Anyway, so as a quick synopsis. Um, there's two high school characters, Hanabi and Mugi. They're both in love with their teachers, respectively. So Hanabi's in love with her homeroom teacher, who is a childhood friend of hers. And then Mugi is in love with the music teacher. So the whole entire setup is really, really simple when you look at it from the outside. You're like, all right, well, they both have these unrequited loves that they can't, you know, they can't deal with properly. So they start dating each other to fill the void that is the fact that they can't have the teachers that they want. 
So the the plot continued to spiral farther and farther and farther out of control. But really what makes the show so extraordinary is that it's probably the best written show I have ever seen about teenagers and sex and sexuality. So first of all, there is sex in this show, but it is in no way, shape or form a hentai and it is in no way, shape or form like exploitative. Like it's never in the show to be be there for titillation you're watching it and you're just like wow none of these people are happy <laughs> this is at all this is as, this is as awkward and messy as it is in real exactly. life when you have a bunch of people who aren't in this for the right reasons so to exactly speak. and they're like they're filling the void with sex they're filling the void with sexual acts like all these physical acts and none of them feel any sort of emotion towards each other there is a sequence where it turns out like Hanabi's best friend is in love with her and they have sex with each other and she's desperately trying to get Hanabi to understand that she loves her. She's like, listen, this act is supposed to be because I love you and Hanabi like cannot grasp that. She's so emotionally detached and broken as a person that that whole sequence plays out and I felt ill watching it. Not It has nothing to do with the fact that it's a lesbian romance. It has everything to do with the fact that it's so excruciatingly sad e. for that for that character, Sanai. And it's written so well. The heartbreak is all there just in dialogue and camera angles. And I'm like, that's incredible that you can pull this off, especially with Teenager, because I know you guys have talked a whole lot about shows from the 80s or the early 90s that were able to have adult relationships. And it's like, yeah, because they're adults. But... I, off the top of my head, cannot name a show with teenagers in it that actually handles these topics with any sort of care and doesn't divulge into, like, hentai or exploitative, but holy wowza. And it's what's extraordinary about it is it's not even something like, like, Clannad, where everybody has some fantastical reason or some, like, super (laughs) melodramatic, we wrote this to be... As sad and tragic visual as possible. Novel. Right. We wrote this to be right like a visual sad game. girls in snow. <laughs> your, right. Sad your, girls in your snow. Parents were killed in in a car, your parents were killed in a car accident that also left you like, I don't know, unable to speak or something. Right, exactly. So like it's it's not that out of out of one of those visual games where, you know, there's all this you have to heal this person. It's like, you know, the the teacher so the teacher that Hanabi's in love with, he lost his mom really, really early in life. So he never had a mother influence. So he has a little bit of this weird, like, savior slash Oedipal complex. Like, the only reason he's... It turns out he's in love with the the teacher that Mugi's in love with. Okay, oh, now goodness. we may be getting a little contrived. <laughs> he, well, wait, wait, wait for it. And the only reason he's in love with her is because she has long hair like his mom. That's one of the few uh. things he remembers. He's like, my mother had long hair. She has long hair. It's like, ah, yeah, this is I an unhealthy... I think unhel- I like her. <laughs> this is an unhealthy foot to start on, but at right, least it's it sounds ex- like the show... Right, it's super unhealthy. Like the show takes that, you know, takes that and runs with it. Like, it knows... No, it knows. I think that's what's amazing. It's totally self-aware. And, like, Hanabi herself is super messed up in a lot of ways. Like, you're watching these two characters and you're like, here's here's really how I have to put it. They're not dumb characters, but they make these incredibly poor decisions out of unrelenting emotional pain. Mm. And so 
they do when they do these things it's it's spelling out the pain for you and you're like wow the fact that you could do this just via sequence you know camera sequences or, or all this writing is extraordinary to me because every and every character's got a different reason for having this emotional snappage it's loss of you know loss of a parent it's you know the the inability to express emotions hanabi herself her father left her family when she was little and her mother couldn't deal with it so she would cry all the time so hanabi like can't cry properly now whenever she cries it comes out like really awkward and it then it won't stop and she's like i feel really messed up and it's like she doesn't know how to properly express grief she doesn't know how to properly express loss because she always had to be this strong emotional crutch for her mother to dump all of her emotions into and i was like okay yeah that's painful i can't even imagine like someone who lived through a divorce having to watch that character that's gotta hurt so bad like lucky for me i don't have any of this stuff i don't i don't i don't relate to a lot of these characters in the same way i do to some of the characters in the same march where i feel a lot of pain but watching this it's amazing the way they're able to convey this emotion the way they're able to discuss sex and sexuality to use sex in the show without going into the realm of the perverse. So I talked a lot about it, and I don't want to spoil too, too much, especially about the music teacher, because holy wow, her story is super messed up. But everybody has their own reason for having this emotional pain, expressing this emotional pain, or this emotional manipulation. And it's all just this, like, bending and breaking of, of people. And I honestly can't figure out where the show is going to go by the end. I, I don't honestly see it as everybody getting their respective person and walking off into the sunset though so everyone be... gets a psychologist exactly oh, everyone only. goes to therapy <laughs> episode that 13. would actually be the happiest ending it probably would be because they all are so distorted in their in their own way um it's it's really quite amazing i guess the last thing i'll really touch on is is moogie i'll spoil something quick moogie had one of his like there was some girl in middle school who just decided he was good looking and essentially like manipulated him into having sex with her when he was in middle school. So he oh. lost his virginity somewhere around the age of like 13. And now that he's a high schooler, he doesn't know what to do with himself. He's like, I, I did that. And, and then that girl just kind of like walked away. She was like, well, that was fun. I'm done with you now. We can still be friends or whatever. Call me sometime. And then just leaves. He's sort and of, he feels he's this, sort of like, hit that he's hit that achievement that everyone in high school is supposed to be shooting for. Right. He's like he thinks it was something he was supposed to do. And he looks at her and without words, he's expressing the term, I want my adolescence back. Mm. Like I don't understand what I'm supposed to do with myself anymore. And for me, I think that was a really, really big deal because I think the media in a lot of ways really preys on you guys as like, I'm not going to call you the sexual predators, but we're, if we're going to say the sexual aggressors, it's definitely the males. And so for Moogie to be in this position where he had sex at an early age and now feels like vulnerable and fragile and doesn't really understand what to do with himself, I think is an amazing flip-flop of character. So yeah, it's, it's kind of kind of fascinating, and I I really I really like the show. It's beautifully written. It's beautiful to look at. It's a really really pretty show. So it's interesting, and if if that's something you're willing to explore, it's amazing and totally different than 
than what I'm used to. Yeesh, so. between this and March, you like uh, I was gonna say you really you really know how to pick them this uh, this season series, really but do, they do sound I? like that sounds fascinating. That sounds like something that I would be. More yeah, Dan, than happy. I honestly think you'd like it. So I know you were like maybe considering it. Um, maybe wait till the end now that we got to get through Genericon, but definitely, definitely, I think it's up your alley. You should give it a try. Sounds like a plan. Man, well, that was all about the emotional heartbreak. So I just blew through all of our time for this cast. So we're we're actually going to have to split this into a two-parter, guys. Oh, for the first time ever. Well, catch you guys in part two then, I guess. Yep, catch you all next time. See you then. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah!